way to watch that now on live uh, in the midst of, yeah, that's good, isn't it? And as we get further into this, we hope to get better cameras and improve the quality of it. So I'm very thankful for, uh, for all the people that, that work so hard behind the scenes. You know, we have a lot of people that work behind the scenes. Sometimes you just show up and you think, wow, that's nice. I've got food out there and coffee's made and there's people greeting me here and there are people back there praying and classes are going on and the music sounds good and all that and the air conditioning's on. Or uh, Sometimes we take those things for granted. Uh, but if you come from where we come from, you don't take that for granted. Uh, meeting in a little bitty, little bitty room that smelled bad and looked bad and felt bad. Uh, to something so wonderful as God has blessed us with this facility uh, and all the great volunteers that we have. We have a lot of volunteers that really love the Lord and serve him faithfully. And uh, can you all just give all those people a hand? They deserve it. Our band, we just have so many people that work so hard. I had uh, what's called the flu bug it's in the newspapers and television. I don't know if you all have heard about it. <laughs> Anybody here had the flu recently? Okay. We didn't even pass out masks. That's all right. I want to tell you uh, a story. I made up a story. This is a made-up story. So when you hear this story, don't go, well, that wasn't the Bible. Because I want to try to make a point to you about something, and I think this may be the best way to do it. Okay? So, y'all, that's why the title of the sermon is Once Upon a Time. Because when I grew up, every, every little story started about out with once upon a time, and, and then the ending was, and they lived happily ever after. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, once upon a time, there was this king, and he was a great king. Man, he loved his subjects. This was in a faraway land, and he loved his subjects, and he ruled with grace and, he, and mercy. He had this uh, beautiful queen, and, and they just ruled their provinces. They had seven provinces that they ruled. And he ruled with such justice and mercy and love that everybody loved the king. And so his son, he had a son, and he had, he had one son, and his son was just a great son. And he, would, and he was growing up, and, and mom and dad and, and the, all the people in the court, they, would, they were training him up to be just a great son that loved his mother and loved his dad and wanted to someday serve as king. But he was just a prince. But as he grew, he got to the age of eight, 18, 19, 20, and all of a sudden, his parents look at him and think, well, son, it's about time that we will look for you a wife. We need to, we need to find you a wife. And, and I, I've, I've seen that. I didn't have watched it a long time, but The Bachelor, you know, those shows that, where they, they try to ma match people up and they have all these contestants. So that's kind of what I was thinking. This king decided he would send out his attendants out into the, out into the country, out into the provinces, and they would send that guy, you know, that, the guy that would stand up and they would blow the trumpets and say, hear ye, hear ye. All the fair maidens of the land between the eight, ages of 18 and 21. The king has decided it's time for his son to have a wife. And so we are going to do a search for the one beautiful, loving, obedient, kind wife to come alongside the king's son and one day be the queen. Can you imagine all the families in the province that had daughters that fit that description or in that age range. And they're all, wow, honey, we've got to get our daughter. We've got to get her in finishing school. We've, we've got to really make sure that she's ready because when they send these men out all across the country to find the finalists, 
out of, the, out of all these women, they're going to come up with seven finalists. And so they sent all these men out, and they went, and they would go into the homes, and they would meet the young ladies, and they would meet the families, and then they would give them all the requirements that were required of them to become these great uh, subjects for the king's son, to become this beautiful bride to serve eventually as queen over all the provinces. So they went out and, and they, they met all these young ladies. And after they met them and they whittled down the number, then they sent the prince out. And he got to go and interview them in every place that he went. All of the seven finalists, he, he went and interviewed them one-on-one. And, and he wanted to know about their heart. He wanted to know about what, what they expected of him and what he was going to expect of them if, if they were to become chosen to be his his wife. And so he said, after meeting with all the seven of them, he, he left them with this. He said, I'll be back to make my final decision, but you don't know when that's going to be. So you need to be ready for when I return. So, of course, you've got seven girls, and they're all excited, and they're all giddy. And at the beginning of this, this period of time of waiting, they're like, wow. I can't wait. I'm going to be the best bride ever. But time went by and the prince didn't show up. And so they all kind of filtered back into their regular lifestyles. But one day, the king's son is here. We're summoning all seven to the court. All seven of the girls, all of them are brought before the king's court. Here's the king and his wife, the queen, and, and then the son. And the son stands up and he says this. Maiden number one, you've been very patient. You worked very hard. You spoke out against those who would speak against my father. But you don't love me, really. You love the idea of being queen. You love status, but you don't really love me for who I am. So you're disqualified. Maiden number two. Of course, you went off sorrowful. Maiden number two. You've been a busy young lady. And not in a good way. My attendants, those that I've left behind to watch your life, tell me of your exploits in the night. They tell me of your walking away during the night and thinking that you have slipped away from everybody's view to worship other idols and give your allegiance to another. And for that, you're disqualified. Maiden number three. Not only have you turned from me, but you've, you've turned others from me. You've made a mockery of my father's kingdom and all the good that he stands for. You pretended that you really wanted to be my bride. You pretended that you really were going to be obedient to me, but you weren't. And you were disqualified. Maiden number four, you've said all the right things, but your actions don't agree with your words. You gave up on me. You acted as if I would never return. You're disqualified. Maiden number five, you don't know what you want. One day you're this way and the next day you're that. 
You say you really need me, but then you do everything on your own power and your own strength. You are so selfish and so prideful that you could never be my bride. You're disqualified. Maiden number six. I'm sorry that you've been ridiculed for believing in me. You've been persecuted for me. And though you may never become queen, there will be a special place in my father's kingdom for you because you have stood for what is right and you stood for what is noble. And now the drum roll. Maiden number seven. Can you imagine after the six? She's thinking, well, are any of us going to be worthy? Are any of us going to find favor with the prince? And the prince calls her up before all of the court. He says, wow, you're so beautiful. In so many ways. You've always known that I would be your strength. Everything you told me that you would do, you've done. You've been faithful. You've taken the ridicule with grace. And one day those that have ridiculed you because of me, they will come and repent to you. I will love and protect you forever. I will give you my name. And we will live happily ever after. Now you probably have already figured it out. But just in case you haven't, turn to Revelation chapter 3. I took some liberty with these churches in the order. I started to leave out the one church because the persecuted church was still in the running. Matter of fact, all the churches were still in the running. God required something of them. And as Randy spoke last week and shared about the heart, that what God has shared with him about the church and the future of the church in this nation, it so resonated with me that if we are not the bride of Christ that God has called us to be, then we will become one of those churches possibly that the doors would shut and that we would no longer be the light in the city. We would no longer be uh, taking Jesus to the heart of the city if we forget who we are in Christ, if we forget that we are the bride of Christ and he is the bridegroom and he expects much of us. One church, the church at Philadelphia, was called the faithful church. And I want to read what Jesus said as he's poured this into John, the Apostle John, as he was writing this revelation about the seven churches. And he said, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no, opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Listen, when he talks about us having little strength, that is not a derogatory statement. Understand this. He was saying because you have little strength, you're depending upon Jesus. And so many times the church in America, the church across the world has said, we've got a good program, we've got a good income, we've got a good location, we've got a good preacher, we've got this, we've got that. But listen, if Jesus Christ is not head of the church, if he's not the groom, then listen, we're just playing games. 
And he's called us to a high standing. He said, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. You think about this. He is the groom. And he says, I want you to know I love you. Sometimes we just forget how much he really does love us. And I want you to know I love you because you have kept my command to persevere. He's looking for a church that perseveres, church. He says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And many believe, and I agree, that at the tribulation the church is raptured out and we don't have to go through all that stuff. Because this verse says it very clearly, I will keep you from that. But he's looking for a church that's faithful. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear. Say he who has an ear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. You have ears this morning. You have spiritual. Some of you don't have ears. You have ears this morning. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Not what I say, what the Word of God says, what the Spirit of God's saying. When I was studying, preparing for this, I was so interested in reading of the seven churches and, and the different things that Jesus was calling them out on. And then I found myself looking at Ephesians as Paul was talking about one of those churches mentioned in Revelation, the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was the one that Jesus said had left what? Their first love. So I'm going back. This is later. This is a farther down in history that he's writing these things. And he's talking about not just the churches of that day, which I believe he was talking to those churches, but he's talking about the church of today. He's called us to love him because he first loved us. So I want you to flip back to Ephesians 4. And I'm so serious about this. Ever since Ron Campbell shared that, man, maybe we just had too many sermons. That has stuck with me. I don't know why. But maybe it's because I preach a lot of sermons. There comes a point, church. Listen, look up at me. There comes a point when you, you, you can't just depend upon me to feed you. Or, or, or the CD, that the, the, the teaching CDs, those are great. Or the TV preachers, maybe they're great. I don't know. I don't watch them. But there comes a point when you have got to grab hold of the fact that God's looking for a bride that perseveres and is faithful. And that you're going to have to step up. Because we're the church. We're the bride. 
And he's calling us to step up. But if if every Sunday, listen to me carefully, if every Sunday you come and you get the word preached to you, you get the equipping, and you go back and you're nothing has changed in your life and you're doing the same old, same old, you're walking in the same sins, you're falling for the same lies, if that's the case in your life, you might ought to quit coming to church. Because you've become dull and you're hearing. You've heard it so much, it's just road, man. I just heard the pastor has a great sermon. I'm going to go out and do what I did last week. Nothing's changed in my life. Ephesians 4. I want to rapidly go through some things that God's called us as the church to be. And I want us to figure out, are we these, are we these people? Okay? Seven things. Well, some of them are double things, but you'll figure it out. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Quickly. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God has called the body of Christ to walk in peace and in unity. He has called us to be of one mind, one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism. He's called us to be walking together. And because we're not walking together across this city or across this nation, we see our, our nation going downhill fast. People are saying, where was God when the kids were all shot? Well, we told him to leave our schools. But listen, if you're going to school, if you're a student, listen, God's in that school because he's in you. But you've got to be a voice there. Listen, the time for us to be politically correct is over. Dancing around the issues, that's over. Visiting with Charles in our staff meeting this week, and he said, you know, there may come a point when they say you can't say this is wrong or that's wrong or that's sin or that's sin. Because we're a uh, we're tax exempt, and they said we might have to start paying taxes if we're going to be if unless they if they make the if they change the rules on us. And I said I'll gladly pay taxes. I'll gladly pay taxes because I'm going to call it like it is what the Word of God says. But we all have to be that way. It can't just be coming from the pulpit on Sunday morning. We need to call people out. You see a lifestyle that is. Totally against the word of God. You need to say, listen, if it's your son or daughter, listen, that's wrong. Quit condoning. Listen, one of the brides was a compromising bride. Jesus said, no, I can't. You've got to repent. We've compromised and rationalized too long, church. He's called us to walk in unity. But not in a unity of weakness. But a unity of power in the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Number two, walking in the gifts. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping, say equipping, equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. We are a church that believes in the fivefold, or if you want to call it sixfold, I don't know what you want to call it. This is what we believe, that we walk in the gifts of, We walk in an apostolic calling with a prophetic calling, an evangelistic calling, a pastoral and a teaching calling for the equipping of the saints, 
for the work, the saints, say the saints. You're a saint. If you're a Christian, say I'm a saint. You are being equipped to do the work. He didn't say the he didn't say the recreation time. He said the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, taking people in bondage, out of bondage, people that are that need healing, that they're healed, people that are in, in, in financial disarray, that you teach them how to step out of that and walk in the provision of God. We believe in the whole counsel of God. Number three, that we would walk in the new man and the new mind. Verses 23 and 24 of Ephesians 4, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. God has called us to righteousness. Say righteousness. Say righteousness. Say holiness. Holiness. God has called us to that. Oh, no, that's for those weird people. That's for those legalistic people. No, he's calling the church to righteousness and holiness. Not compromise. Not weakness. He wants us to be renewed every day in our minds. He wants us to put on the new man every day. And we continually say, well, I can't do that. That's I'm just I'm just so covered by grace. I can do what I want to when I want to. Listen, that's the devil's message. We're covered by grace. Yes, we are. But it's not to sin. He said, shall we continue in sin so we can show how graceful God is? He said, God forbid that we should do that. Or my Bible says that. I don't know what yours says, but I think it says, God forbid that we would continue to do that. The new man is so contrary to your old man. Did y'all know that? When we talked about Joe going down the water and Carla going down the water and leaving the old man, the old person behind and walking in the newness of life, that's the word of God. He says, walk in the newness of life, not in the oldness of life. If he would have wanted us to walk in the oldness of life, the scripture would have said, risen to walk in the oldness of life. Didn't say that, does it? It says, walk in the newness of life. All things are new. Behold, the past is the past. Don't let the past dictate your future. Number four, Ephesians 25, uh, 4, 25 through 27. Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Oh, just a little place. Just a little. Let's go give the devil just a little place because, you know, I really need that. I can't let go of that. And he says, I'm looking for a spotless bride, an unblemished bride. But we say, well, can we just hang on to that sin? Can we just hang on to that thing in our past? Because really, that's a comfort for me. And God says, no. Leave it. Renew your minds. Walk in truth. You know, we, we talk about, well, I don't lie. I don't tell lies. You know what we do? We lie to ourselves. And he says, put away lying. Quit lying to yourself. Start trusting God in your situations. And quit letting the enemy feed you and, and, and implant those lies. That's how he gets his foot in. Do you know that? It's just through lies. 
he plants a lie and then he leaves. He didn't bother you. He just plants a lie that, oh, I can't overcome that. Oh, that fear issue is too big for me. Oh, I can't do this. He won't do that. God, is not, he doesn't love me enough for that. I can't be forgiven of that sin. And we let those lies come in, and we don't put away the lies. And listen, we need to put away those lies of what the enemy's telling you about who you are. Number five, we're to walk in love. This should have been number one, but it's number five in my list. Therefore, be imitators. Ephesians 5, excuse me. Verse 1 through 4, therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Say love. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you. Listen to that. He said, don't even let that stuff be named. Don't let it come off your lips. Should not be a part of your life. As is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. He is talking about love. He's talking about the words coming out of our mouths. And if you haven't learned it by now, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It is like an unruly, evil fire that sets everything else on fire. And no man can tame the tongue except Jesus Christ. We are to edify one another, build each other up. Number six, eight through 11 in verse chapter five. Walk in the light and do good for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Say, I was once darkness. Now I am the light. For once, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all, let's say these together, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. It's not that complicated. We make it so complicated, don't we? Opportunity, do good, do bad. Bible says, do good. Opportunity, tell a lie, tell the truth, tell the truth. We get it all so complicated. We, we allow the enemy to stir up our minds and stir up our emotions to bring in compromise and doubt and confusion and fear. And we end up going down these trails that are nowhere near what God's called us to go down. He said, look, just imitate me. Do what I do. Walk in this light that I've given you. I'm the one pouring this into you. Goodness and righteousness and truth. Begin to tell the truth. When you want to tell a lie, say, stop. No, I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm telling the truth. Put away lying. Walk in the light. Do good. And then the last one is walk in wisdom. Verses 15 through 20. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
You know what he means by redeeming the time? A lot of us have wasted a lot of time. Would you say you've wasted time in your walk? Come on, be honest. We've all done that. We've wasted time. Here's the cool thing about God. He said, let's redeem it. Let's get it back. Let's don't waste our time anymore. Chasing after the things of the world. Let's chase after God. He says, walk upright, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Because listen, y'all know this. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another in psalms in hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord, in the fear of God. God's called us the bride. He's called us to something more than maybe we're living. Paul's giving the church this great, godly, spirit-led advice. What kind of bride are you? Jeremy, you have that video ready? Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to witness the union of two lives, that of James and Sarah. James, do you take Sarah to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I do. And Sarah, do you now take... I've written my own vows. By all means. James, I love you. I cherish every moment that we spend together. You're my hero and my friend. I promise that I will love you, honor you, care for you, and support you for the rest of my life. There's only one thing I ask in return. One day a year, only one day, I want to be single again. I want to be able to spend time with old boyfriends, with eye hunting, clubbing, that sort of thing. Whatever comes up for the day. Well, what do you think? Well, James, it sounds reasonable to me. Are you kidding? You must all be out of your minds. What's the problem? 
What more could you possibly want from me? Yeah, James, what exactly do you want? What do I want? Well, well I don't want you on a part-time. Uh, I want all of you. All of you should belong to me. Well, that's how this thing works. Go ahead and give us some more lights. Thank you. Y'all get the point? I know you couldn't hear everything she said because y'all were laughing. Just one day, I want to be single again. I want to go clubbing, hanging out with my old boyfriends, doing what I wanted to do. Just that one day. Sounds a lot like the church, the compromise that's taking place. People say, yep, Lord, you're it. I love you. I I'm going to live for you. I completely surrender my life to you. I raise my hands. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender. And you go, all that. And yet, But just this one day, Lord, I'm going to do this. Just this one week, Lord. You know, it's my vacation, Lord. And and I've been living really good for you. Just one week out of the year, I kind of like to just twist off. That's okay with you, isn't it, God? Well, it's not. It's not okay. I used to be in a quartet. We used to sing this song called Part-Time Christian. Remember that one, Mary Lou? It's kind of like a part-time wife. Just when you need her, you know, baby, I, I need some food on the table. Could you cook for me? I, I'm, I'm feeling very romantic, baby. Could you just show up for me? I just want you, just when I want you. God didn't call us to that part-time relationship. Jesus didn't call us to a part-time relationship. And I believe with all my heart the only way that this city is going to change is when every believer says it's not about a part-time relationship or a part-time walk. It's about a 100% totally sold-out, committed life to Jesus Christ. Are you committed? He said to love him with all of his heart, soul, mind. And strength. Let's stand. Can I have our ministry team come to the front this morning?